I'm Derek Wheatley and welcome to episode 128 of the Weekly Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us on wherever you're, you know, YouTube and all the other places. Uh, I want to thank um, Maria Burke for coming on last week. We had a really great chat about, um, Maria is kind of a life coach, but she, she talks about so many different things that um, uh, my, I said it to her afterwards, my copy and the, the questions I had were barely touched upon uh we had a great chat and i really enjoyed it and she sent me a gift as well and i want to say thank you uh, for that it came like within hours of our conversation so um the irish postal service is is really doing its bit um uh, and thanks as always for your support during the week um wherever you did give us a like and all that kind of stuff uh let's get started with uh, this uh, episode my guest this week is one of america's greatest ever extreme sports stars and the author of the art of fear and she is Kristen ulmer how are you doing Kristen? really great to be here oh well i'm delighted to have you on it's been it's been a whirlwind uh i probably started going backwards or sorry yeah from from front to back with your career i found your book first and i read the book and then i as i was reading the book i found out what you did beforehand because over here, I think extreme sports in Ireland is kind of jumping off a bunk bed. It's not a, it's not a, it's not exactly a, I, I say that there probably is some stuff that I don't know about, but I'm certainly not part of it. Um, you are in Utah, is that right? Yes. And, you know, I will say that my extreme sports career is what gave me my education. And, okay. But I don't identify with it as anything other than that at this point. So, I mean, I, we're definitely going to talk about that, mm-hmm. but I don't want anybody listening to think that this is a conversation about what it takes to do dangerous things where you're risking your life, because that's not what I'm about anymore. And it, it just, I just see my ski career as um, helping me put the puzzle together on why some people struggle with fear or anxiety issues and other people don't. Uh, yeah, for sure. We're going to go into a lot of that. And I would, I would, um, reading the book, I would think that when I finished it, obviously there's parts of it about your, your ski career and things like that. But, um, for some reason, I wouldn't think of you as an extreme sports person when I had finished the book without those little bits in between. So it's really interesting to kind of look at it from, from that way. We always have, um, uh, two questions that we start with, uh, Kristen. So could you give us a, a short history of your upbringing, please? I was raised in a farmhouse without a farm that was built in 1786 um, and hadn't been remodeled. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a little rustic, only heated with a wood stove in New Hampshire, United States, um, to free range parents that were, I just pretty much raised, raised myself. I remember I would stay out all night partying at age 14 and, and, you know, barely get a slap on the wrist. So I definitely had a full chance to just be me and uh, my whole life. Um, and then I discovered skiing because there was a small ski area in my local town and I never had any ambition to become a professional skier. But next thing you know, I was, um, I was the best in the world actually for 12 years at my sport, which was big mountain uh, extreme skiing is what we called it back then. Extreme means the consequences of failure or death or injury. So I li- risked my life for a living. Um, and then I studied Zen voraciously, a Zen approach to fear and other emotions. And uh, 
And now what I am today is a thought leader on fear and anxiety, a high performance facilitator, a mindset sports coach. Um, I am a Zen therapist, you know, I give keynotes like what, depending on the day, but I feel like my entire background, including my childhood has just, which, which helped me develop the right relationship with fear um, to be, do what I did for a living as a skier and do, I mean, I think that what I'm doing now is way more dangerous and scary than anything I did on skis because I am kind of um, taking on the entire uh, anxiety and fear, PTSD, depression, you know, insomnia, healthcare industry, and challenging existing norms on how to view these issues and also how to treat them. Uh, do you think, or do you have a certain kind of, uh, do you feel a certain responsibility in the sense that when you're doing your skiing, it was you and, you know, the extreme side of it was the consequences were for you. But when you're talking to um, other people that you might be coaching or, or, you know, you're being a Zen therapist, it's, it's, you know, there's other people's kind of lives, not at stake, but you know what I mean? There's a responsibility there for those. Right. I mean, people become suicidal because of their emotional issues. And um, I feel like, uh, you know, if I were to summarize my life in six words, first I went big and then I went deep. And I am doing a radical pendulum swing. Like my ski career was when I was younger, you know, it's about hedonism and the radical self-expression and my massive ego, right? (laughs) You know, that's supposed to happen when you're young and just fun and crazy. And, you know, and then now I've done a complete pendulum swing into being of service to other people and having integrity in my consideration for them and what they need. Absolutely. Um, So our other question is, um, when did you first become aware of mental health? You know, I was anticipating this question because I saw you sent it to me in advance. And the big thing that... I'm all about is, again, challenging existing norms. And when we're talking about things like anxiety disorders, depression, PTSD, we call this the mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. But this is not a mental health crisis. This is an emotional health crisis. And we think, okay, well, it's just semantics. But this really, I mean, change your perspective, change your language, you know, it changes everything. Like there's nothing wrong with our minds. There's something wrong with our relationship with our emotions. This is an emotional health crisis that we're talking about. And I first became aware of it uh, as such. Um, I, I mean, it's it's interesting because I'm writing a, another book and this time about uh, anxiety disorders, why some people have them and others don't and what to do about them that we've never considered before. And the my editor said we want to know how you came up with all these concepts and the thing is i can't remember when i've had the specific ahas like the one where it's like wait this is not a mental health care crisis this is emotional health care crisis i don't remember when i had that epiphany but i've had a lot of epiphanies over the years and i have a, a really unique background where i didn't study about this stuff in college i'm not repeating the same old stuff that you hear from the next person from the next person from the next person i have completely figured this out as I've gone along without having that influence. And so that's, that's the, the thing that my background really has provided me is just a completely fresh perspective 
on age old problems that are considered mental health, but I see as emotional health. Um, I think that I had that perspective shift though, um, that this is about emotions and not being in flow with them about 10 years ago. Okay. But I can't remember the circumstances that made the light bulb go off. It's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky question. We get so many different types of answers for it and it's nice to have it in there with the, the different ideas that people have. When, when I, um, when I think of fear and obviously looking back on your, your professional career in skiing, it's, I guess, an immediate reaction to someone who's never, first of all, never been skiing, but someone who doesn't stand too close to the edge of uh, cliffs. It's, it, the, the, the reaction is, is fear because of what you're doing. And there's, there's some great videos of you on YouTube when you were in your younger days and you're with, you're with a group of people and you're having a bit of, having a bit of a joke in front of the cameras, but then you're doing this stuff that's just completely to me is insane because of just, I can't get my mind to, well, I don't really want to get my mind there, but when did you go from just skiing? Cause you said you started skiing in New Hampshire. Where does the journey go from starting to ski to doing those huge uh, jumps off the cliffs? Well, what makes somebody become a world-class professional athlete is just the perfect storm, uh, an amalgamation of the right body type, the right opportunity, the right relationship with fear, mm-hmm. um, which is what we're going to talk about. Because if you have a compromised relationship with fear, it turns into an emotional issue. Um, the right personality, the right, uh, I mean, I motivation. I had a lot of insecurities and demons that, you know, I, I wanted attention, you know, the right need for attention. Like there's... Um, and, and it's, it just, I I mean, I, I mentioned before that I didn't have an ambition to become a professional athlete. I just fell into it because I really loved to ski. And then I started hanging out with people that were filming movies and competing in moguls. It's a form of skiing. And I mean, I didn't even have the goal to get on the U S ski team for moguls, which is I'm known for big mountain extreme skiing, but I also was a mogul skier at the very beginning, which taught me how to catch air. Um, like I just was hanging out with my friends and they wanted to compete in mogul competitions. I'm like, great, I'm in. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm on the U.S. ski team for moguls without ever having the goal to get on the U.S. ski team. And, you know, this is, I was competing against girls that have been trained their whole, their whole lives to be on the U.S. team and, and, and the best high school ski academies, the best coaching money could buy. I had never had any instruction except for a couple of ski school lessons in second grade. So, I mean, it was, I mean, I just had the secret sauce, the perfect storm. And then I very quickly transitioned to the big mountain extreme skiing um, and and left mobile skiing behind because I didn't have rich parents and you really needed to have rich parents to be on the U.S. ski team, certainly back then. And, um, And then it kind of brings in the right relationship with fear, which is what I think we're here to talk about. You know, I just had a really... I had both a healthy relationship with fear and I had an unhealthy relationship with fear. And so my healthy relationship with fear is what helped me be grow to my greatest potential in a very um, challenging sport um, that, that most people would consider terrifying. Um, the things that I did wrong by fear for me, you know, if people are not, my term is in flow with fear, you know, what the part of me that was in flow with fear helped me be magnificent. The part of me that was not in flow with fear is what caused for me PTSD, sleep issues, um, burnout, a lot of injuries. And 
And so I've done, I did some things right by fear and some things wrong by fear. So I did learn from experience, but my being out of flow with fear did not lead to an anxiety disorder or depression like it does for other people. Um, and so that is just, you know, what I'm going to share in this podcast is probably going to be a lot talking about certainly anxiety. You know, if you have an issue with anxiety, um, is not something that I have personally experienced, but I've seen my clients experience. And when I get them from a resistant relationship with fear to an inclusive and flowing relationship with fear, I found that for them, the anxiety dissipated almost immediately and didn't come back. When you started the, you know, this kind of talking about fear more and, and you know, spreading the word about it, you, you gave an example of your, your own uh, uh, looking back as you were kind of forcing fear down as you were, you know, doing the, uh, doing skiing and doing the jumps and stuff like that. Um, and I wonder, like, is that, does that have to be done? Can you talk to us as uh, someone who's 15 or 16 now who wants to become uh, you know, in an, into an extreme sports, um, can they just have the fear? You talk about being on a, a good relationship with fear, or the idea of not fighting the fear. That's a those one you bring up quite a lot. People try to f- the expression is fight the fear and all that. How does somebody's mindset change? Because we're taught so much to fight the fear. Well, let's back up and I'll answer your question and just even talk about what we mean by fear in the first place. Um, because I think that when people think of fear, they think scared or afraid, but that's only one way in which fear can manifest. And it's, it's not a very common way, believe it or not. And, and, uh, if somebody is experience anxiety, experiencing anxiety, that's fear. It's just it's a made up name, made up word that has less of a stigma than the word fear. Um, but that's what anxiety is, is anxiety is fear. Specifically, it's fear that's trapped in your body and it's recirculating round and round when there's no more threat. So backing up, we have this thing called the amygdala, two almond shaped nuggets at the top of the spine. And it's the oldest part of the brain. And all data, all sensory data, 11 million bits of data per second comes in to our systems through this primary filter first. Now it's it's not a thought producing part of the brain. It's just, just processing you know all this information really, really fast. You can't do that with thoughts. And it's the manufacturing plant for fear. And if there's a threat, uh, and, and it's not like you're gonna be able to identify what the threat is, right? It's just too much, but it's just a highly sophisticated, but very simple process. And if there's a threat, it'll, manufacture fear and then proven by science it shows up in your body first as a physical sensation of discomfort and it's supposed to lead to fight flight or freeze action that's on point intuitive you know all of that it's the perfect design and then the when the threat is gone the fear is also gone in 10 to 90 seconds after the threat uh but the thing is in today's fast-moving world the amygdala is manufacturing fear all the time and we're pretty much experiencing fear in every single moment of every single day in nearly every single interaction we have no exceptions now most people are in denial of this or they certainly don't want to believe it and uh, what we're taught to do about that flow of fear in our bodies you know maybe in the old days when there wasn't so much fear then are we could just block it out or ignore it or fight it or conquer it or put it out of our minds or 
whatever, you know, no problem. But now it's just, it's so prevalent and there's so much that our bad habits of not dealing with it are now starting to show in the form of all these emotional issues that people are having. The statistics are alarming and that includes depression and all that. Because what happens if we, we fight this natural flow of fear in our bodies, and it doesn't even matter if you jump off cliffs for a living, you don't even need to leave your house and it's there. And it doesn't need to be tied into anything that you can identify like, oh my gosh, you know, there's a mugger or there's a cliff I'm going to jump off. None of that matters. It's just, and if you try to figure out what it is that's warranting the fear, you're going to drive yourself crazy. So don't waste your time on that. Just know that it's always there, but if, it, if you're not in flow with it, you're going to have problems. You, you mess with nature. So back to my ski career and your yeah. question. Um, so I had both. I had a great relationship with fear on the one hand in that I was in flow with it. I loved it. For me, fear has never showed up as scared or afraid. Fear has only showed up for me as presence, uh, excited, a feeling very, very alive, um, focused, like that's the gift that fear offers me when I was in flow with it. And flow is another name for intimacy with it. Like I had intimacy with my fear when I was a professional athlete and people that give speeches, you know, if they're in a flow state while they're giving a speech, scary to give a speech. They also have intimacy with it. And the fear makes them more sharp, present and focused and help them bring their A game to the speech. Same with if you're in a new relationship, it's like, it's so much, it's so exciting because there's a little bit of fear in the air, like, oh, will he or won't he, will she or won't he, she, and, and it's like, it, that's, that's if you're in flow with fear, how it shows up, it doesn't manifest as scared, it manifests as that, but if you're in resistance to it, and you kink the hose, and you stop the flow of it, which we're specifically taught to do mm-hmm. by self-help gurus, psychologists, doctors, you know, you name it. Um, pretty much every book about fear out there besides mine will be like, don't let it get the better of you, you know, breathe it away, replace it with calm, rationalize it away. It's not even real. Like all of these things are ways we think to deal with the fear, but they're actually ways to not deal with it. And you kink the hose and you stop the flow. And next thing you know, it's stuck in your system, recirculating round and round. And one way it can manifest is an anxiety disorder. And it could build up also eventually and explode out the cracks in the form of a panic attack. So your question, you know, what do I suggest to a 16 year old, keep the flow, you know, keep the intimacy, which is what I had wish I had done during my ski career, because I would have had fewer injuries, I would have had less emotional issues, I wouldn't have burned out. I mean, I was so burnt out trying to ignore fear at the same time, that I thought I was burnt out on the skiing after about 10 years, but really, I was burnt out on ignoring fear. It's just exhausting. It was taking 98% of my energy. Um, so, so keep the flow with fear, you know, the intimacy and get rid of the resistance and your life will just all of a sudden, whatever problem you have, I swear is tied to that either a hundred percent or on some level, including physical aches and pains and you name it. Um, get back in flow with fear again, the way nature intended and only keep the flow life just is so much easier (laughs) and so like you've probably answered it there for me really but I wanted to ask why did you want to write the book I feel like um this the art of fear and also my next book is my reason for being on this planet is to put this puzzle together for people 
I mean, you're, you're not going to hear anything like this from anyone else about anxiety disorders, for example, or depression, like where they come from or panic attacks. Um, I mean, I, I feel like this is my contribution to making the world a better place and getting us kind of back on course so that, I mean, you know, anxiety disorders are, it's a sign that there's something gone terribly wrong. And what's gone wrong is not fear or not the emotion itself, but the way that we're dealing with it. And if we can shift from a resistance relationship with it to an inclusive, loving, um, intimate relationship where we learn how to feel our emotions, you know, then if everybody does this, anxiety disorders will someday be seen as a thing of the, or be a thing of the past and be seen as like this weird, bizarre time in humanity's history where we just were a little lost, right? Yeah, like, because obviously they are very prevalent and I've been diagnosed with anxiety disorder. And that's why I found it like, you know, fascinating to read the book because as I was like, you know, I came across it and the art of fear and fear was the word that stood out. And I didn't immediately connect it with anxiety. I wasn't reading it for that reason. You know, I was reading it to, to learn more about fear and your idea for fear and stuff like that. So I thought it was fascinating that you talked about like even yourself, like having PTSD. And, you know, how you had to change that as well and, and, and tackle it. Uh, has there been any, um, I don't know if pushback is the right word, but, you know, somebody may be suggesting that it's not uh, a kind of one size fits all, you know, like that some people might have a anxiety disorders in general or some quite quite low in, in you know, um, yeah, strength compared to others. Has there been any pushback in that kind of sense? None. None. Very, very interesting because I'm definitely, I mean, I, um, I'm not controversial, but I'm saying that what we're doing is never going to work and it's time to try something completely different. And you think that there would be some pushback, but there hasn't been. And I think it's because once you realize what I'm saying I mean, there's, there's no way that you can make an argument against it because it makes such sense. Um, and, and I think that I really want us to spend a bunch of time focused on the solution rather mm-hmm. than the problem. And, uh, but to figure out what the solution is, we have to identify the problem and the problem is current treatments for anxiety disorders. They are causing the anxiety disorders and, and it's, it's hard to stomach, you know, but it's, it's very well-meaning, well-intended people that are just helping people survive, you know, or, but I want to help people not just survive or treat the symptoms, but actually reverse the problem, you know, solve the problem from the ground up instead of just treated with band-aids from the top down. And, um, and it works, you know, and it makes such sense that, I haven't had any pushback, no. Yeah, I like and I I'm not trying to like say the Irish people and American people, just like you know, Irish people, Spanish people would have a different approach to things. And it's just the mindset of something. Whereas I think American people are can be more optimistic than Irish people. I think Irish people are a little bit by nature quite pessimistic. So um that was just my sense of it when I was reading it that I'm looking at it through more pessimistic eyes 
I, I guess. And maybe that's where my idea that there might be some pushback. And to be honest with you, I'm delighted there is no pushback because, you know, like you said, it's are we going to keep doing what we're doing or are we going to work out something else and try to figure out what we can do um you know better and move on from it i think that's important and yeah i can i think that was just my uh, my version of it but i did i did like in the book and it's a brave move where you you write the first half of the book and you you talk about fear obviously and you talk about what you did for a living and things but when you moved on to the second half you almost challenge the reader to say if you're not ready to change, then you might as well stop reading here. That's a, that's a, a bold approach. Yes. And it's because people are so invested with fighting a war against their fear or trying to conquer or overcome their anxiety or trying to breathe it away or replace it with calm. And they don't want to give up the progress that they think they've made. And, uh, you know, people have found coping mechanisms to manage their anxiety disorder. Um, and, and it's been hard won for them and they don't want to give that up. And so I, the whole middle half of the book or middle part of the book is about, um, saying, look, he who chases two rabbits catches neither. You can either continue doing what you're doing or you try something completely different. And this is that what what to try that's completely different but the, it's a choice point you know and you have mm. to in many ways get to the point where you're unwilling to take another step just with these coping mechanisms and and try something completely new which is foreign which is counterintuitive which is the radical opposite of what everybody is t- telling you to do you know but of course then what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Like we've been doing the same things and repackaging the same methods and modalities and all that over and over again. We're not getting different results. Anxiety disorders are only getting worse. They're not resolving. And and people just give up and they just think, well, this is just who I am. And and I just, you know, and then they, they, like the analogy I read in a book is like, if you have a thorn in your side and then next thing you know, you spend your whole life like, don't disrupt the thorn. You know, I, I can't, you know, don't get near me. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to roll over on that side. It's like they, they start to just live their lives to just maintain their coping mechanism. And, and what I'm saying is we got to take that thorn out. We got to completely reimagine how you approach this and, and, and actually solve the core problem. Um, but, you know, you're very invested in managing or coping with that thorn and, you don't want to give up that progress that you think that you've made, but it's never going to get you where you want to go. When I, um, uh, I was like kind of maybe not quite halfway through the book when I contacted you, you were very kind to say you come on. And I, I'm going to go back and read it again, because as I was reading it for the, for the, the podcast, I wanted to make sure that I kind of covered kind of all bases on the parts that you were saying. And I probably didn't concentrate enough, but everybody who comes on has given me some sort of, um, bit of advice or you know uh woken me up to something and kind of i i this is what what i'm gonna try this is my thing now like is, is to try what you uh advise to do because um you know like you said I've, I've i've spoken about my anxiety disorder many many times on here before and um you've spoken about the re- why you want to like move from that onto you know 
um, making friends with with fear almost. So I, I'm really going to I'm really going to push for it now. But what I was interested in asking you really was what I'm 40 years of age. So in my, a mindset that has been, you know, uh, you know, kind of, I suppose, sculpted into this uh, way it is now. How does somebody um, who has this, you know, relationship with fear and anxiety um, start to change? Right. I'm going to give you my best tips. Okay. (laughs) And again, it's about recognizing the problem first. So I want to just complete the analogy of water through a hose, Mm -hmm. you know, water through hose. And if you kink the hose, then that fear gets trapped in your body, your system. And it starts recirculating round and round, and then it messes up your lives in a medley of different ways. Eight billion people, you know, it's going to show up messing with people in eight billion different ways. So for some people, it turns into an anxiety disorder, which is just fear going round and round and round and round in your system. Or it eventually builds up and explodes out the cracks. Someday you're driving down a country road and boom, you have a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Like, where the heck did that come from? Well, that's, it came from not dealing with fear for 10 years or more. And it eventually, you're closed to it. Um, Or the other thing that it can do is like water that's trapped in a closed system can do. It'll flood into your thoughts. The next thing you know, you have fearful thoughts or insomnia, which is if you're not dealing with your fear during the day, it'll wake you up in the middle of the night and move to the place where you live in order to get your attention and keep you awake. And it's basically saying, pay attention to me, pay attention, stop ignoring me, right? Um, so it can show up in that way. It can also show up redirected in other ways that don't even seem like fear at all. Like if fear feels powerless to you and you want to have nothing to do with it, we have to feel something. So that stuck fear can show up as anger instead. So you don't have any fear, right? But you have anger and it feels more powerful. Um, and anger is pretty much just fear's fight version. Um, you know, some emotional specialists say that anger isn't even an emotion. It's just fear in fight uh, version. Um, or if anger is impolite, again, you have to feel something. So you feel sadness instead. And you can also, so depression is you either feel numb or you feel deep sadness. And if you feel numb, it's because you depressed or repressed your emotions and they become depressed and so too do you you know if you're unwilling to deal with fear well then you pretty much don't feel anything else um or excessive sadness which is just a redirected different emotion um so it so the the cause of depression is what i'm saying is undealt with fear kink toes and it's showing up redirected in other ways or it can show up as excessive jealousy or you know if you feel like um there's something wrong with you when what that you have fear, you're going to suffer from self-esteem issues and self-worth issues. Or if you have physical aches and pains, like maybe a compromised spine, lower back or what have you, or migraines, right? Your undealt with fear will travel to that place in order to get your attention in that and just turn up the dial on your pain so it could show up as pain. So just know that if you're not in flow with your fear, you can't even believe the problems that you're going to have in your life. I talked about burnout. Um, like we, we see gymnasts that are 17 years old that are burned out on their sport, it seems, but really they're just burnt out on fighting a war with fear. It's taking all their energy 
or in the sport that I was in is a very violent sport. You know, I had to become such a rigid person to block out my fear. And, and when you become rigid and you have these impacts, you just start to break after a while. Um, it's like throwing a, a rigid can against a wall. It's going to break versus mm -hmm. a slinky. You know, it won't, that will be fine. Right. So you can become a really rigid person. And I mean, it just, the list goes on and on. And the reason why I'm spending all this time talking about this is because the first hot tip to turning this relationship is around is to have some awareness of what your relationship is with fear and how fear is not causing your anxiety disorder, your unwillingness to be in flow with it, or you're not dealing with it or resisting it is what's causing this problem. And there's coping mechanisms. People drink alcohol, you know, or, or smoke pot every day or take, of course, anti-anxiety medication. These are all ways to medicate fear away. Um, some people, like they breathe in calm and breathe out their fear. You know, that's just disrespectful to fear and it's spiritual bypassing. And we make fun of that on sitcoms. Like, is that your me mechanism? A lot of meditation apps that are here to help people feel less anxiety. They start off great, like connect with your fear, learn how to feel your fear and now let it go, right? So love the first part, but the second part, you can't let fear go. It's, it's not like CO2, you know, and it's, it's uh, anyway, I, I could go on and on about this, but any, the, the word resistance, don't get too caught up on that. There's so many different ways to resist feeling it, but anything that you're doing to spiritual bypass or using your intellect in order to not deal with it. Probably the biggest form of resistance to feeling fear that I see is just people living in their heads all the time because then they don't have to feel anything in their bodies. The list goes on and on and on, but nobody's dealing with their fear. It's we're embarrassed by it. We hide it. So hot tip number one is get to know your relationship with fear. And you now that compromise, like that resistant relationship is now affecting your life in a negative way. I, I was, I was watching really just kind of coincidentally watching an episode of the office a few days ago. And, uh, this was after reading your book and, uh, they were doing the, um, it was all about fear and it, it starts, sorry, the episode starts out about fear and they're walking across coals or they're, tr they're want to walk across coals that's in their head. And it was all about what you said about like, you know, fight the fear. Look, you get across this and not this idea. And you spoke a bit about that in the book about um, there, there is kind of a, a, a pretty large industry to do with that as well. Isn't there? There's people out there's speakers out there. There's podcasters. There's all those people who will be just talking about fighting the fear. And as, as, as someone, as you said, you're the only one who's written a book about this. You're kind of like a singular voice at the moment. Um, have you seen or have you spoken to people who are kind of not, I wouldn't say getting on board because obviously people are, but um, is it kind of taken off this idea? Um, no. And it, do you think that's just because we're so ingrained into what we were talking about? Yes. Okay. A couple things like walking across the fire. The fear is actually the thing that pr protects you because it makes you sweat, right? And then yeah. that provides a film on the bottom of your feet. And so beware of anybody that's trying to get you to walk across flames. It's trying to get you to rationalize the fear out versus in include it in the process. You know, the fear is the thing that keeps you safe there. And the fear is the thing that kept me safe in my ski career. 
Now, the reason why I'm saying no, it's, mm. I mean, I don't know that this is going to shift in my lifetime. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I wrote an article. I could give you a million examples. I wrote an article for Forbes magazine. You can find it, you know, and I, and the whole article was about how we don't want to use the word conquering and fear in the same sentence because it suggests war and you, you don't want to conquer and overcome your fear because it, it, I see fear as a person, it leaves fear, no choice, but to retaliate and fight back. And, uh, it's the whole article is about don't use the word conquer and fear, you know, in the same sentence, if you only do one thing, do that. And I didn't title it, but when it finally came out, it says, Kristen Ulmer gives you great tips on how to conquer fear. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this is one example of hundreds. And I will literally, I will work with a client sometimes for three days. And they write me back afterwards. And, and all it is, is me helping broker them having a healthy, flowing, loving relationship with their fear. And they write me back a few weeks later and they're like, okay, I've been fighting fear and I'm not going to let them get a better of me anymore. I'm like, we three days on this. I mean, it's so ingrained. It's so ingrained. Even my marketing team, you know, I think we brought on a new guy and he started creating these memes. He's like, Kristen Ulmer helps you overcome and fight your fear and not let it get the, I mean, like, ah, like I, I am, I mean, imagine what it's like to be me. I did. I'm to the point where I have a sense of humor about it. Well, it's understandable, but like, you know, when we talk, when you talk about like just the one person doing this thing, like the one person giving across this message, and I was even coming on here, Kristen, like thinking, don't, like, I was trying to change just by, you know, I haven't read your book recently, but immediately saying, well, don't say fear in this point, in this point. But I was overthinking it just by even thinking of speaking to you. And that's a very strange way to try and change your language. That's very difficult to do. But I guess as as the more people read the book and the more people understand the book, um, because, I, you know, that second half that we mentioned, once you get into that and once you read that, like as it's as it's supposed to be read um, and you start to understand that, that that'll that'll come. But maybe you're right. Maybe it won't be in your lifetime. Maybe it'll be 100 years time that it eventually starts to click in. But isn't it the. The whole point that it eventually does. I hope so, because if not, our future is everybody will be medicated because nobody knows how to deal with their fear. And in many ways, I wish my book had been titled The Art of Anxiety, because people come to me all the time. They're like, well, I don't have any fear, but I have an anxiety disorder. I'm like, well, that's fear. We just don't call it fear anymore. We only think of fear and scared like that's. um that's that's why I'm writing my next book and my next book is going to be very, very simple and half the book is going to be the solution. And so I, I've only given you one part of the solution um, and it's. You know, it's getting to know your relationship with fear and becoming really, really clear about what that relationship is, and that's what I spend a, a large portion of my work with clients doing. And it's not one size fits all. Everybody has a different relationship with fear. And, and I'm constantly surprised. Um, and so are my clients because they didn't, they thought they had one relationship with fear and then they find out they have another relationship after all. And fear is very, very simple. But our relationship with it, because it's uncomfortable, is extremely complicated. And you were talking about in America, you know, people are positive. Well, people are positive to a fault here. <laughs> it's like, 
you know, make it a great day and turn that frown upside down and there's nothing to be afraid of and all that, all that leads to a compromised relationship with fear because nobody is afraid to admit to their fear. And in, in many ways, one another hot tip is to first of all, stop calling it anxiety and start calling it by its real name, fear. And so that you can be more real, raw and honest with what you're dealing with. And of course, nobody's, if you start to tell your friends, well, I have a lot of fear, it's gonna freak them out. Yeah. You know, you're not gonna get any support. You can call me and you'll get support. And I'll just say, oh, tell me more. How fascinating, um, what's it feel like? Like, I won't say, like, well, you need to let that go or what's wrong with you? Like nobody's willing to admit to feeling fear because then we, we think that, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with this person. Um, so, so start by calling it by its real name, uh, which is fear, um, and, and start to deal with it emotionally instead of intellectually. Like stop trying to figure out what you're afraid of or stop trying to figure out where it came from. None of that is relevant. And it's just a waste of time. Actually, that is the one thing that I have been criticized for. Because in the book, I say, fire your shrink. <laughs> and, you know, I love talk therapy. It's helped a lot of people, but it will not solve emotional issues. Because if you're just talking about your emotions round and round, it just is keeping your, you and your head dealing with them intellectually and not dealing with them emotionally. And emotions, you know, if you're trying to figure it out and why do I have this and, you know, where did it come from? Is my mother's fault? And anyway, all of that, it's interesting, but it doesn't get you one iota closer to feeling your fear. In fact, it just keeps you in a loop in your head um, as a way to not have to feel your fear. Can I ask you, because you mentioned it at the start, actually, and this is not a therapy or a form of therapy that I'm familiar with, and at least not here, but... um. What is uh, Zen therapy? I'm a Zen therapist. <laughs> I, know, I know what Zen and I know what therapy is, but I don't know how does it how does it work. So the word Zen, if you take it, I don't teach Buddhism. Hmm. I mean, Zen that was my training, but the word Zen is to become one with, and Zen Buddhism is to become one with the Buddha. Basically, feel what the Buddha felt. But you could take the word Zen and put it in front of anything, even other spiritual practices or religions like. Zen Islam to become one with Muhammad. Um, so or one with Allah, right? Um, or feel what Muhammad felt. So you take Zen into Zen skiing, you know, to become one with the skiing, to be on the inside of the the day or the, the moment. And so as a Zen therapist, what I do, and the reason why sessions with me are so powerful is because um, I I don't give any advice. There's no talk, talking about your telling your story or what anything that happened in your past. All I do is meet you where you are today and then just facilitate a client into having a bird's eye view of their life as it exists in this moment and their relationship, for example, with fear in this moment. And then through good questions, the client then gives themselves their own advice. So it's just helping them access their own wisdom. And, and that's how I've come up, like all these things that I write about in The Art of Fear, and I have a TED Talk out, like everything that I teach basically or facilitate are not my, is not my personal philosophy. This is through years and years of facilitating people and broken a conversation between them and their fear. And this is what fear has asked us 
for in order to stop terrorizing us? There, I, I was going to ask you, <laughs> see, again, about the, the language you thought we... I was going to say, like, do you enjoy public speaking or is it like, does it make you nervous? But that's, that's actually redundant after a whole conversation we just had. But do you enjoy public speaking? I do because okay. it makes me you know, because I know that it's a sign that I'm learning and growing and it's, it's scary. Absolutely. I, but I don't feel scared. It's, you know, fear just for me manifests as excitement and presence, as I mentioned. Um, and I, I do feel nervous. These are all other names for fear. And, um, but because I know how to be in flow with my fear, then I'm able to navigate it um, in a way that doesn't have long-term consequences. Yeah, I really liked your, your TED Talk. And I, I obviously saw you, uh, your TV appearances as well. And um, again, it's, it's, it's uh, I haven't started this journey yet, so I'm still allowed to speak of it as I would be terrified in those kind of situations. <laughs> But that's the way I see it, you know. And um, there's another there's another uh, question we always ask as well, Kristen. What do you like to do in your spare time? Um, right now, recovering from my divorce. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I have a great network of friends that, and I love to travel, and I love to do sports like kiteboarding and road biking, and um, I've been to eighty countries. You know, wow. I I just remodeled my whole house that was a two-year journey um so an eclectic version but really my favorite thing in the world to do is work with clients hands down i i live for this it's my reason for being i mean that's a beautiful thing for your clients to hear as well you know that it's that important and that and something that you love so much um you've been to 80 countries um have you been to ireland yes oh that's okay so i was dreading that you were going to say no northern ireland in and uh, um, what's the main city? I can't believe I can't. Dublin? Dublin, yes. Oh, and uh, did you enjoy your time here? I did. I went to Giants Causeway um, back in the day. And then um, Dublin was, um, I had a date with a rock star when I was there. Really? I'm not going to ask for a name, but I... <laughs> it wasn't Bono, was it? I know. Um, I, I'm not going to ask a name, I promise. But like, um, so 80 countries is quite a feat. And obviously... Um, you, I, I saw you doing the, sorry, that's a completely different thing to what I saw you doing it. What did you say? was the kite surfing? Uh-huh, yeah. I've seen that obviously in Ireland as well, with all the coastline and stuff like that, that actually does look like a lot of fun. And it's something that I haven't even surfed before. So maybe I should start, you know, maybe I should um, walk before I run, but it, that does look like a lot of fun. It's also extremely dangerous. So <laughs> you bring your A game to learning. Um, I learned in the 90s before we had better kite technology, and it was definitely. Um, so my book was almost called My Love Affair with Fear. Oh. And like I'm I'm say yes to things that involve a lot of fear, speeches, mm. certain kinds of sports, um, you know, men that are like, whoa, that's woo, intimidating. Like I just I say yes to fear. And that's, you know, that's the only way that you can expand and grow to your greatest potential because it, it helps you step out of your comfort zone. Mm. Each time you step out of your comfort zone, right? Let's say put a dot out the circle, connect the new dots, you know, it's, you've just expanded who you are. And then uh, the, the, it's very expensive for the body to manufacture fear. It takes a lot of energy. And so it doesn't want to have to, uh, if it doesn't have to, it doesn't, it doesn't want to. Mm. And so the only way to have less fear 
um, is to take risks and say yes to fear. It's the only way to have less fear. You can't rationalize fear away. You can't talk yourself out of feeling fear. That's just one way to resist it, which whatever you resist persists and has consequences. So, um, but this is a whole nother subject. You know, mm. at some point I'll write a book, how to take risks yet still sleep at night. Um, but yeah. it's about um, like, uh, this is an epiphany though. I will leave this subject with this kind of big mind blowing comment. So really pay attention. Okay. What I'm gonna say next, but fear doesn't hold anybody back from doing anything yeah. we get that wrong it's our unwillingness to feel fear that okay. so that's another hot tip then become <laughs> willing to feel fear but i think that i think that we want to i mean can we just at least finish up on if you have an anxiety disorder especially because you said that you have one mm -hmm. what you should do to you know the rabbit that i'm offering that you can yeah. change you know, I think that at some point we should finish with that, but um, I just kind of dropped the bomb on you. So I'm sure if you have follow-up questions on that. It's no, no, honestly, no, to be honest, that, that it's, it's very well put across that statement. I mean, it's, it's, um, it is what it says, you know what I mean? So yeah, no, I'd like you to, to maybe just talk about that as well. Just like you were saying about me having a, an anxiety disorder and as you said, the rabbit, if you don't mind. What I learned anxiety is, is your resistance. You know, it's like, I don't want, um, I don't want, go away. Why me? What's wrong with me? Resist, resist, resist. And, and so suffering equals discomfort times resistance. And the discomfort of fear, it's just, that's what fear is. It's uncomfortable. Um, and if you're in resistance to it, which is specifically taught in our culture, you know, and, and the discomfort is there. And then we're taught to let it go, conquer it, breathe it away, rationalize it away. You know, suffering equals discomfort times resistance. That's all resistance to feeling it. Being in, being in your head, make yourself busy. Like these are other forms of resistance. Um, drinking alcohol, all the things I mentioned. And if you can still have the discomfort of fear, maybe a level 10 out of 10, and you have zero resistance, there's no suffering. Hmm. So 10 times zero is zero. Um, and this, this goes for any kind of discomfort, pain, right? If you have a level 10 of pain, a great example is like getting a tattoo, right? Zero resistance to the pain. Not only do you not suffer, but it takes you into an altered state, a spiritual place. People get addicted to pain for that reason. Um, heat, you know, level 10, like a sweat lodge, zero resistance. You consciously choose to, to do the thing, to be in the heat, not only no suffering, but it takes you into a spiritual place. So let me introduce another equation then. So the first one is suffering equals discomfort times resistance. Flow equals whatever you're feeling plus intimacy. Mm. So if you're in resistance, let's say cold, Wim Hof, right? If you're in resistance to the cold and you're really cold, you're going to suffer. But flow equals whatever you're feeling cold plus intimacy. If you have intimacy with the cold, you're having a spiritual experience. So not only is it important not to resist fear because it leads to suffering, but it's important to have intimacy with fear because it leads to a spiritual experience. In sports, we call it the zone. 
And it's the fear is the thing that takes extreme athletes into a flow state and little else does. And that's why extreme danger sports athletes are so known for being in a flow state or in the zone because they have this intimate relationship with fear that they don't even know they have. Mm. Um, so, it's a, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot to take on when you've, when you're starting from the beginning, obviously, like I said, when I'm a 40 year old mindset is this certain way. And that's the whole point, I guess, of me saying that I need to go back and read, um, particularly the second part of the book, um, because of what you're saying. Um, just an example of me. I was in, I was in Dublin a few days ago and you said about the cold. I got into the, the, the Irish Sea and the Irish Sea is never warm. It's irrelevant what time of the year it is. Okay. And I got in and like that, the whole thing, it was, it was fear, like, you know, or anxiety or whatever it might have been. I got into my waist and then I kind of, I jumped down underneath and came back up, as, you know, and I said, right, I'll go back in just for a photograph because, you know, you have to get a photograph, whatever you do in this world. But I got underneath and I got out. And then like the whole build up wears you out. You know, the anxiety of it, the, the, not even the anxiety, but just, you know, you're like, oh God, it's going to be freezing in this. Because the word anxiety means resistance. Mm. Right. So it's it, it, it that that yeah. So okay. So it was like the 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 resistance of it. But when you get out, it's just it feels so good. Like right. So what I see when you say that it's like you're in resistance, 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 resistance. Okay, acceptance. I'm going to do this. The you know I think you said there's camera there. All right, embracing. You know, and then mm. diving in intimacy and oh, you know heaven. So. <laughs> Now, how this relates, though, to your anxiety disorder or anybody who's listening, you know, the depression or the PTSD or insomnia, whatever, um, you know, my hot tip number one stands, get to know your relationship with discomfort, we'll just call it. Don't get too caught up on the word fear. People think fear, you know, they think scared. Fear and afraid are two totally different things. You know, like fear is the thing and then the, the afraid is the adjective. Here's the noun, let's say. So what is your relationship with fear? That's the first one. And notice if you're in resistance to it. Um, the biggest forms of resistance that I see, I have this little list here, are coping mechanisms. Um, people ignore it. People go numb when they're around it. They think that the fear is making them freeze, but the fear shows up and they freeze around the fear. They don't know how to deal with it. Um, Trying to understand it, where it's coming from, is the biggest form of resistance to feeling it that I see. People try to fight it with their minds like a sword, like rationalizing it away. They try to control fear by replacing it maybe with calm. They avoid it, you know, like I don't, I don't want to feel discomfort, so I'm not going to do the scary thing. Um, they, there's so many different ways to resist fear. So get to know yours. You cannot change what you can't see. So you have to first recognize your pattern on how you deal with that discomfort in your body. And you can also notice how that's now affecting your life. And if you have a problem in your life, and it could be physical, could be emotional, could be spiritual, could be mental now, it could have moved into your mind. It could be relationship, you know, excessive jealousy, like you name it, aches and pains. Um, your relationship with fear, if it's compromised, will have something or everything to do with that problem. Um, First part. Yeah. Yeah. So second part is that 
You're now going to learn how to um, be in the shift from resistance to being in flow with it. And what that looks like is you're going to learn how to feel your fear. This is not about thinking about feeling it, right? Like picture like a snake, you know, if you're thinking about feeling it, you're not feeling it. If you're focusing on feeling it, you're not feeling it. If you're intending to feel it, you're not feeling it. If you're in resistance to feeling it, like what's that like? No, it's a matter of it being a physical experience of finding wherever that discomfort is in your body and feeling it, period. It's a no mind experience. There's no thoughts involved. And when you feel like, let's say you hug someone or hug a snake, right? It becomes an intimate experience just organically. So your goal is to shift from resistance to acceptance, you know, which is still in your mind to feeling, which is no mind, like physical to intimacy, which is organically going to show up if you learn how to feel your fear. So that's the rabbit that I'm suggesting people chase. You can either continue resisting it and running away from it and fighting it and taking a pill and drinking the alcohol and making yourself so busy. You don't have to deal with it and being your, all those things, resistance, right? Or you could have intimacy, which is the polar opposite. And it, it requires work, but it's, it gets you the results you want. And it's a heck of a lot less work than spending 99% of your energy, ignoring fear. One hundred percent. That that was beautifully, uh, beautifully summed up there. And I can kind of, um, I understand it totally. And this is what my this is my next goal is to work at this. And uh, if you're listening, if an Irish person is listening, just don't be so pessimistic. This can be done. We can all uh, we can all read this book and uh, have a go at uh, what Kristen has talked about because it's um it's very important, obviously. And Kristen, you've been absolutely. Brilliant. And thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was a wonderful chat. Uh, I love the fact that I didn't really need to shape all these questions. You could have just talked and I would have just listened and I would have loved it uh, regardless. Well, I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. I can't, I can't. That's the best person for a podcast. Come on, as a talker. But you've been absolutely brilliant. Would you mind just staying with me for one minute? I'll close it out. I want to take a quick photo of us on the screen together and we'll, we'll go. Is that okay? Absolutely. It's been a pleasure and good luck out there. I'm here um, to help if anybody needs it. Yeah. And I'll be putting up uh, Kristen's uh, details. I could, uh, you've got a website, haven't you, Kristen? KristenOlmer.com. And uh, I had a TED talk that just came out. The Art of Fear is a great resource. Um, lots of, lots of information out there for me. Go check Very, it out. Yeah. And buy the book and listen to the TED talk as well. Really interesting. Uh, I also want to thank, as I always do, John, for doing the tech side of things. My mom, my dad, my granddad, Jer and Calvin. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube if you would. We're on there. Uh, well, if you're watching this, you'll know that. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And then the podcast platforms, all the usual ones, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, all that kind of stuff. And obviously for everyone who's tuned in today, thank you very much for, for watching or listening. Uh, Kristen, one more time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, everybody else, yeah, see you next week. Take care. Bye.